Good morning. So, for the last weeks, we have been talking about the spiritual realm. So we're going to start today um, just with a, a quick review. Um, what we've been talking about briefly, just to go through it, the biblical authors had a spiritual worldview. The worldview encompassed non-human beings that served Yahweh and also those that hate Yahweh and humans. It's a consistent cast through the Bible. We talked about how the Old Testament does line up with the New Testament with this cast of characters. You just have to look, know how to look. Um, the view remains consistent through the entire Bible, and uh, the warnings and teachings don't change. We'll, we'll look at that today. Uh, the view is reflected in you know, what was re- expected from a Messiah. So there's all these problems with the spiritual realm. There are things that are out of whack. There are evil spirits that are out to get you, and that is a problem. Uh, sin and death was a problem from Genesis 3. The demons become a problem from Genesis 6. And then we have principalities and power. So you have this whole cast of characters and their problems. And the Messiah needed to deal with that. Jesus did not just come for sin and death. He came for the whole thing. And um, that's consistent through the entire narrative of the Bible. And so yesterday or last week, we got to the point of like, where do we go from here? All right, we just talked about a lot of data. We just took in all these different spiritual beings on the good side, and then we did a super quick run-through with a lot of stuff last week. And uh, so we have this. I feel like there's biblical basis to believe this stuff. Um, where do we go from here? Uh, it gets spelled out very early in the Bible. Uh, Exodus 20, you'll recognize this as when he, Moses gives them the Ten Commandments, and that's where we're going to start today. Uh, 20, verse 2, I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me or beside me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Um, First two commandments very specifically deal with this fact that there are other spiritual beings. And we are not to bow down to those spiritual beings. We are not to interact with those spiritual beings. And that's why they're the first two commandments. And Jesus points this out in Matthew 22, He summarizes those first two commandments in this. Um, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus is telling you, number one, you're going to love Yahweh, your God, with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That is you completely. And what that is emphasizing is the loyalty 
to Yahweh himself. No others, just him. You cannot interact with the other beings. Old Testament spells it out. Jesus reaffirms it. There's no mistake there. Why do the things that happen in the Old Testament to Israel, why do they happen? The bad things. Because the Bible says, and they use the language of adultery all the time, they whore after other gods. They are getting in relation with these spiritual beings and they are interacting with them either on a small level or on a whole scale large level. And that is why they continue to face what they face in the Old Testament. That, that's what ends them into exile. When they start following these other spiritual beings, they start breaking what Jesus says is the second commandment, which is the other eight commandments in the Ten Commandments. And that is how you interact with each other as humans, how we treat our neighbors. That's those last eight commandments. That's what Jesus sums up with the one line, the second you shall love your neighbor as yourself. When you start getting involved with these spiritual beings, it takes a, it takes a toll on your soul, number one. Uh, and number two, though, it's going to start affecting the way that you think about other humans. It's gonna, that's where the injustice comes from. That's where the hate comes from. Like All of these things stem from not following the one true God. They're doctrines of demons. Paul talks about the doctrines of demons a bit in the New Testament. So it's pretty clear, our commandments. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about idolatry here today, too, um, because idolatry is something strange that we've done in the recent church in turning idolatry into something that it's not. Um, Romans 1, let's just look at Romans 1 as we get into idolatry. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without an excuse. For although they know God, they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. So what Paul is talking about right here, I think he's alluding back to Genesis 6. Um, He's talking about the fact that up until that point, the idea of God interacting with humanity seemed to be a normal thing. But then they choose to abandon Yahweh and they start embracing those sons of God or the creatures and these idols that they start to make. I think that that's what what Paul is getting into. And this is how he starts off Romans. A lot of Romans is going to pivot off this idea. Um, So it's just, it's throughout throughout our Bible, this notion. How many people growing up, this is what you thought idolatry was? It's rather silly. But how many times were you told that your sports car had become an idol? Your boats on Sunday were an idol. Sports were an idol. We minimize the idea of what an idol is. And in the process of minimizing what an idol is, we also take ourselves out of the supernatural realm of what it actually means. Does that make sense? We've minimized it. We've turned it into 
I love golf more than God. Golf is my idol. No, that's just sin. That's just flesh. That's low commitment. Anything you put before God is a number of things that have to do with flesh and comfort. I want us, when we think about idols, I want us to actually think about the spiritual beings that are contending to destroy us and take us with them. That's what I want. Not my whole life is, if your whole life is is like saving up for a Lambo, then you've got issues. You need to address things. If that is your God, um, that's something else. But I want to talk about idolatry as idolatry. I want to talk about the seriousness of idolatry because what we do is we minimize this, but what we don't realize is that like another third of the world still worships idols daily in their homes and on the streets in booths. When you go to Sri Lanka, you walk down the streets, there are booths that kind of look like phone booths, but they're decorated with different things, and then they have different gods inside them that you can stop and worship. That's all over India. We see that throughout. You, you can find that in Shinto shrines in Japan. Idol worship is nothing new. Family idols that get passed down, just because we don't see it in the West, it's still very prevalent in the world. And when we send missionaries out, missionaries find out what idol worship is. They find out that it wasn't the, the power boat. And I just want to make a little point of that. Let's be careful with how we address idolatry because when we address it this way, that it's these objects and things, we take out the spiritual nature of the fact that this stuff is out there. Um, so that's just kind of where I'm at with idolatry. I wanted to bring that up because the second commandment is just like the first commandment and it has to do with the worship of other gods. And that still happens today. It even happens in the Western world. There's still people out there who get together with friends and they worship Zeus. It still happens. We think it's funny because we're in the West and we're fairly removed from that. But that is still going on. Idolatry is the worship of idols or other gods, other spiritual beings desiring worship. Um, they want this worship. Some of them want to be a Yahweh. And most of them just want to destroy you and take you with them to the lake of fire. That's what they want. And so we look at this and we're like, well, it's not like we're going to the temple of Zeus here in America. Do we need to be worried about this? And I would say, yeah, there are, there are ways that we need to worry about this. And there are things that we need to be careful of when we interact with the spiritual. Um, so we're going to look through some of the law in concerning what idolatry looked like. So a lot of this gets, gets clumped together, these notions and ideas. And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to read a lot of Deuteronomy here for a sec. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Stop right there. Mount Horeb, God is there. Things are raging. But we know that God is there. The presence is there. There is no form of God. God, we don't get to do a form of God thing. That's always been Yahweh's wish that we don't do that. We don't do that at all. When he gives us this command, Moses is coming down the mountains. He's got the, he's got the tablets. Just, you know, we think that the first two are on there. First thing he sees when he gets down there is what? They've taken a, a golden bull, a bowl, bowl that they made with their jewelry, and they named it Yahweh, and now they're worshiping. So they're trying to give God a form. They're worshiping idols. He, he doesn't even get off the mountain, and this is going on. God actually tells him when he's on the mountain. Israel has a problem with this from the start. 
What it is that, that seduces them to that, I don't know. I mean, I think we, we can have ideas, but... So anyway, that's, that's talking about. Beware lest you act correctly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven... And when you see the sun and the moon and stars, all the hosts of heaven, you will be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Things that your, that your Lord, your God, has allotted to the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are this day. So right there, Moses is identifying the worship of idols with the identification of these heavenly beings. There's no conflation. He lays it right out like that. Continuing, when you come into the land that your Lord God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughter as an offering. Just stop there. That's a normal practice back then. You would sacrifice your firstborn. We just did the opposite here today, right? We just had a child dedication for parents saying, we're going to raise this kid up to know Yahweh, to know and serve Jesus. That's what we're doing. Whereas this was a practice of the ancient Near East time where you did quite the opposite. You literally offered your kid over to death to that. So don't do that. They burn their son or daughters as offerings. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God for these nations, which you were about to dispossess. Listen to fortune tellers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. Going further in Leviticus, they just rail on this a little bit more. You shall not eat any flesh with the blood in it. You shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. You shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. So let's just stop right there. God is not making hairstyle choices for us. God is saying this is a practice that they do in temples right now in the ancient Near East. So people can, we can go all off on hairstyle stuff here if we want. You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. Let's look at the tattoo thing because I'm sure people are thinking about tattoos now too. They are talking about tattoos in the worship of other deities. Everything is in the context right there of worshiping other gods. So, yes, don't get tattoos of other god stuff on you. I think that's safe to say. I can't go any further with tattoo because the text doesn't give me any more to try to beat you down. So go on with your life. Listen to Holy Spirit. Do not profane your daughter by making her a prostitute, lest the land fall into prostitution and the land become full of depravity. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. That seems strange, putting your, dog, your daughter into prostitution. That seems like a very ancient practice, said the people who pimp out their daughters for opioids and whatever else they need. Um, do not turn to mediums and or necromancers. Do not seek them out, and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. If a person turns to mediums and necromancers, 
whoring after them. There's that language that's all the way through the New Testament. When you are engaging in this, it's adultery on Yahweh. I will set my face against the person and will cut him off from among his people. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. For anyone who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or mother. His blood is upon him. They are talking about literal curses too. So sometimes we get into that swearing, and, but they're, they're talking about curses. They're talking about spell work, witchcraft. Um, a man or woman who is a medium or a necromancer shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. And then in Chronicles, we'll jump ahead. Let's see what Chronicles sums up with Saul's life, King Saul. So Saul died for the breach of faith. He broke loyalty with Yahweh. That's a breach of faith. He broke faith with Yahweh in that he did not keep the command of the Lord and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. So when we think about Saul, we think about all of the evil stuff that Saul does. When it comes down for the Hebrew historian to write about what Saul did, that's what he's worried about. The fact that he broke faith with Yahweh, he didn't listen to his commands, and he consulted that medium. The medium they're talking about is the witch of Endor, which is a story that we hear once in a while, where he goes and he has this witch conjure up a dead spirit, which is Samuel. And that's a whole nest to look into and figure out what's going on there. Um, yeah, she brings up his ghost. Speaking of ghosts, we didn't really talk about ghosts, and it is almost Halloween, so let's address a ghost. The Bible is not ex- extremely clear on ghosts. We don't really know. We can, I think I can say that by definition, demons are ghosts because demons are the leftover spirits of the Nephilim, if that is the correct thing. So they are, in fact, ghosts while also being demons. That makes sense that they're ghosts. We see that this witch back in Chronicles or back in Kings, I mean, actually it's in Samuel, can bring up a ghost of Saul, or both ghost of Samuel. So there's a ghost thing. When Peter gets let out of prison, and he shows up at the doorstep, remember they're praying, Peter gets out of prison, the angels walk him out or whatever, and he walks out, and he goes and he's trying to get back with his group of Christians, and the, the, the girl looks at the door, and she's like, oh, I don't know if that's Peter, or maybe that's his ghost. I don't know. I don't know what to think about ghosts. There's ghost stuff in the Bible. Um, I don't think ghost is the ghost stuff in the Bible is like the ghost stuff that we do today where someone stole the pirate's treasure and he's come back with a mystical green boat and he's going to haunt the seas as the ghost pirate. I don't, I don't think it's that kind of stuff. How it works, how the undead stuff works, I don't know. I just don't know. But it doesn't matter. You're not supposed to talk to him anyway. So how it happens, I don't know. All right, so what are these things? Let's talk about these things. Let's give them a little modern appraisal because sometimes we take these things and we kind of think, well, nobody really does that anymore. But yeah, we do. Um, No divination. Divination, another word for divination, is the participation in astrology, using the stars to tell the future and give things to people. Um, Don't do that. Not supposed to do that. Uh, Interpreting omens. That's up to debate exactly what that is. It kind of falls in with the divination. Um, Part of it is just contacting the person that does the interpretation of the omens. Telling fortunes. You can go places today and go get your tarot cards read, and you can get your fortune told, and you can whore after another god. So don't do it. 
We do not visit mediums. Uh, mediums are people, that's the whole idea, is the medium is the transitionary state between whatever demonic beam is there and another human. So the, the, the medium allows that to give a message. That's the idea of a medium. We use medium as words for other things. Usually a medium does that. Sometimes they talk about objects. So sometimes objects are mediums. Sometimes uh, you yourself becomes become a medium. An object that would be a medium and that would, that would deal with divination, for example, would be like a Ouija board. People are familiar with Ouija boards. The idea that when you do that and something is actually happening, some people do it and nothing happens. Some people do it and they're like, oh my gosh, something's happening. Yeah, that's what it is. You are, you are divining. You are participating with a medium of some sort. Um, automatic writing. Some people will They'll clear their minds. They get completely empty. This is in other religions, too. And then they're infilled by something, and then they mysteriously write a bunch of stuff down, and then that's a message for somebody or themselves. Um, a lot of people think, like, that's how the Holy Spirit works with writing the Bible. Um, that's not at all how Holy Spirit works with writing the Bible. We can tell that the Bible went through numerous editors and process, and it was the thing of the author. Um, but some people still do that. Um, Another example of that in the Bible is people that get up and they prophesy, and then they get done prophesying and they say, well, I prophesied what I prophesied and I can't control it. This idea of, this, of a medium, there being a medium. And that's why the Bible says that the prophecy is subject to the prophet, okay, that you're not an empty vessel. We talked about, I don't know if we talked about that a little bit with prophecy, but there's people that get up and they just do this and they're like, I can't control it. This is just what I said. It's like, no, you can control it. The Bible, Paul says you can control it. When you're not in control, that's when it becomes that medium thing. Uh, necromancers. Necromancers are individuals that can also consult with ghosts and demons and whatever. Um, they use magic that's based primarily off of energy of death. Whatever occurs there, you can get into all different weird stuff. That is a thing. People do it. Not just a video game game thing. People still do that stuff. Uh, do not visit sorcerers, which is spell work, witchcraft, rituals. Uh, spell work can be verbal spells. They can be object spells. There's a lot of different ways to do spell work. Um, when you're doing that, you're not casting spells for Jesus. That's not. Sometimes, and this is where like new age has crept in. New age will get into witchcraft and you're doing white witchcraft. It's all good. You're doing stuff to help people or to heal people and do things. Yet, it's witchcraft. All that stuff is empowered by spiritual beings who have the authority to empower this stuff. If they don't have the authority to empower this stuff, then you're just doing stupid stuff for no reason. And people refer to this stuff and go through with rituals because they actually do get things from them. Power comes at a cost. That is the way of the spiritual world. The only exception of that is when Holy Spirit indwells in you, the power is free. It's him. He's doing the work. You are not doing the work. So that's a different thing. Uh, creating curses. People create curses. They talked about that. Uh, possessing idols or objects that have been ritually enhanced or created for spiritual interactions. Uh, how many people like to throw idols of Buddha in their backyard? How many of those? You see that stuff around. Don't. Don't do that. I don't think they're very cool anyway, but just don't do it. Um, idol process. The reason, this is how idols worked in the ancient Near East 
and in Egypt. They're very similar as far as the Mesopotamian and the Egyptian. This is what they did for an idol ritual. You have an artisan craft an idol. You make it in the form that you've decided that this spirit being needs to have to indwell it. You do a good job making the idol, then you put it through a ritual. The first ritual is you clean it. You do a ceremonial cleaning of the idol. Then there is the actual where they will then carve out a mouth usually on the idol, some kind of mouth, say their things, do their things, and then you'll have some priest of that spiritual being come up to the idol and breathe life into the idol by breathing into it. Number one, that's a reversal of what? Yeah, it's a reversal of Yahweh breathing life into us as humans. So that's the first twist on it. And this is, this is well-documented. I've got a, There's a cool paper that goes through this and all the different, how they did this in Egypt and the Mesopotamia. And so this is how it worked back then with that. So you did, you did a mouth. You breathed into it. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a mockery of God breathing life into us. Because remember, we're creatures of dirt that we're breathed into. So it's a reversal of that. Number two, it's a reversal of, it's humans saying, I can give life to a God which is the opposite also. So you can see that there's levels of blasphemy just in the creation of the idols. Um, also, you know, that's, that's the whole coming down with the golden calf thing and the idea that they're going to make Yahweh be this, that somehow they're going to decide who Yahweh is. It's the same thing that happens, you know, it was the Tower of Babel. We're going to force Yahweh to do our bidding. It's this whole human... It's that stuff that Paul just talked about in Romans 1. So these actions are considered whoring after other gods, as mentioned throughout the Bible. This is giving your heart, mind, and body to other spiritual beings. So when you are, when you are doing this thing with Jesus, but you're also dabbling in this stuff, your heart is split. And if we go back to the commandment, we are to love the Lord our God with all of our minds, heart, soul, all of it. All of it's there. You can't, you can't cut this up. Um, this is what Israel did to keep getting into the messes that they did. David, King David, was called a man after God's own heart. David did a lot of stupid, gross, dumb things. But God never questioned David's loyalty. David didn't participate into this. Solomon starts off good, then Solomon starts getting into this. And that's when things go bad. If you have participated in these, and we can add more stuff, some people like to throw scary movies on this list. Some people, the whole cult of fear. I, I can't tell you. I can tell you these. These are very biblical-based. You've got to talk to Holy Spirit about scary movie stuff and figure that out. Um, I can have opinions on that, but that's between you and Holy Spirit. Um, I just want to throw that in there. And other things. There are other things that people think let give demon, demons hold in your life. And that's, that, that may be, these may be true things that do, but this is what I can give you from the Bible. So I'll just make that note on it. Um, this is tough because there's a lot of new age out there now. There's a lot of new age we can talk about the New Age sometime. But what the New Age likes to do, it's, it's just like the serpent in Genesis 1. Then They like to use a little bit of truth and then throw their other crap in with it. So hoping that you bite on to the little bit of truth and then take the rest of the garbage with it. 
And that's what it does. So like there's this idea of Christ consciousness. Jesus Christ is God, but it's a Christ consciousness that we can all participate in this Christ consciousness. And if you just meditate and do these things like me, you too become part of Christ like that. It's that type of thing where they're trying to, it's called syncretism. It's where you mix these things together. Um, I've seen people try to do Christian tarot cards where the Holy Spirit will guide the tarot cards. Um, yeah. So just be careful. Uh, they're not stupid. They've been at this for thousands of years. They know humans were basically the same as we were when we were mud balls after the fall. Just be careful. Um, if you've participated in these, please talk with somebody here. Talk to somebody you can trust. Get prayer and revoke your participation in these activities. You are interacting with spiritual beings in a way that is not healthy and you're supposed to. Uh, it doesn't have to be a production. This can be a private thing. Uh, don't bow down to the shame of doing this. Some people don't know what they're doing when they do it. They don't do it with these intentions, but they're still participating. And just finally, live in the light. So if that's you, talk to someone here that you feel trust that you can talk to and repent of this stuff and get it out of your, get this stuff out. It's gross. Now let's talk about what Jesus did. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of the great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every other name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as a head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You see those words, those are the words that are repeated a lot. Rules, authorities, powers, and dominions, spiritual beings. Remember, he's talking about Christ being seated in the heavenly places. He is in the spiritual realm. He is in the heavenly realm. He is seated above all of these things. These things no longer have authority to Christ and those who join his body. They are no longer at the, at the mercy of these beings. It's just not a thing now. Are they still out there? Yes, they're out there. They want to destroy you and kill you and have you not have eternal time with God. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk with him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you are also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespass and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us for all of our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Again, bringing it home that he has put it all under him. He's taking care of it. 1 Corinthians 15 but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 
Whereas by a man came death, by a man has also come resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, to, to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. So this is looking forward to the stuff that is still going on now. He's got to put the spiritual powers to death. It's coming. Christ assumed authority as the right hand of Yahweh. He received nations as inheritance. The Psalms prophesied about him receiving the nations. Multiple Old Testament references, prophetic to Christ bringing in the Gentiles. Galatians 3.7 drives it home. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel before him to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. They have been disarmed, still existent, but disarmed. Finish it up quickly. There is an end for them. We can go into it a little bit more, but we won't. It does say that in the end, all of these beans and rubbles end up in the lake of fire. And we can, debat, we, can, we can debate over whether that's eternal torments or whether that is annihilation. I don't know. But what it happens is called the day of the Lord throughout the Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament. They use the phrase day of the Lord to be the end. And there's the biblical terms there. There's the Hebrew and Greek for day of the Lord. And just an example of the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. When the day of the Lord comes, it will be the death of the gods. They will be destroyed. Just keep in mind, as we talked about this stuff, where we're at in the spiritual realm, that we serve Jesus, the God slayer. There is nothing above him. There is nothing beside him. Everything is under him. That is the language. Do not participate with these other beings and get caught up in that stuff. Um, how things work, I don't know. As far as, yes, we cast out demons. That's in the Bible. We definitely cast out demons. Do we take on the prince of Greece? I don't know. Has God asked you to take on the prince of Greece? For me, that's kind of where I'm at. Things to do. Abstain from fornication with other spiritual beings. We talked about the ways that you can fornicate with other spiritual beings. Don't do it. Armor up. Study the word of Yahweh. Jesus will give you what you need to fight this. He already has. You just need to accept it and work and live in that. Um, Spiritual armor. Ephesians 6 is a great place to start with this stuff. Listen and pray for yourself and others. We're in this together. We face this stuff together. Don't go chasing fights you've you've not been instructed to fight. Some people do that all the time. They go to take on these beans and they say they're going to cast these beans down. And I think they're messing with higher level stuff. And I don't know if we do that until God tells us to do it. I think there's a lot of people that mean good, but they end up their life is in shambles because they start messing with stuff that they're not supposed to mess with. Um, We need to be practical about it. There's some people that, you know, nothing is impossible. I can do all things through Christ. And then they go and they try to take on something that the Holy Spirit didn't tell them to take on and and things happen. Um, Again, be in the word, pray, 
listen. This is, this is what we can do. If you want to fight against demons, if you want to fight against the powers, spread the gospel. Take people from one kingdom to the other. It is a transfer of power that they do not like. Um, they all know what's going to happen. This lake of fire is the real thing. Jesus shows up. He's talking to Legion. He's casting out Legion. Legion, the demon mass, is upset. And he's like, is it already time? They already know what's going to happen. He's asking Jesus, is it already time? Son of the Most High, Son of Yahweh, is it time for us? Because they know it's coming. It was not their time at that time. They're still doing anti-God stuff. Um, but they, they will have their time, and they know it. And the lake of fire burns, and they know that it's coming, and they'd like you to go there too. Not to be so brimstone fire preacher guy, but that's, that's their point. That's what they're here to do. They're here to mess things up. Uh, Paul talks about strongholds. He talks about ideologies, traditions of men. I think that's how they ensnare the church in the Western Western world. It's ideologies. It's getting your minds submitted to all these different ways of thought and living. And then we've got you. You go to India, you go to Africa, there's still evil God showing up and talking to people. And some of the ideology stuff happens. They've just, they've got their plans. They've picked their poisons for us and they're doing the work. So just, you have to abstain. You have to fight against it. Paul talks about the doctrines of demons. Um, We talked about automatic writing. Uh, think about the recent religions that have been started through automatic writing. That's one of the tricks of the trade. Um, Islam is automatic writing. Mormonism is a form of automatic writing and divination. All the ways that these things have started. And uh, it's real. They still got a plan. They're still doing it. And that was kind of the point of this last four weeks is we just need to be aware that this stuff is real. You don't need to live in fear. You never give in to fear. Just, you can't. you got to fight the fear. But you do have to realize that this stuff is going on, and it's insidious in the way that it likes to, it likes to slip in through different places that may seem innocent. You just have to be on guard and be willing to say, I shouldn't have done that. That was stupid. I'm sorry. That's what it comes down to. I'm sorry, Jesus, for doing this and participating in this. I'm sorry for this way of thinking. And... Uh, you just got to keep, got to keep on keeping on with us. We are, we are a family. We are a body. If we're having issues, you need to bring it with us. And uh, Jesus gets on top. Sometimes it's a long process. Sometimes this stuff is. Sometimes you don't even know. Like you don't even know what your parents got into. Like we talked about the the Deuteronomy passage that people use for generational sins, it, the iniquity of the fathers. In that passage, the iniquity of the fathers is the worship of other gods. It's not even talking about general sin. It's actually talking about the serving of these gods. So, you you know, what your parents did in secret for those that come into the kingdom, sometimes it's just, you just have to look. It's it's gross. This is just the world that we live in, and we need to be careful. So that's, that's my warning. Hopefully all of this made sense. Hopefully you feel like there's a biblical basis for all these different beings all this different stuff. And we can also see that Jesus has in his right place dominated all this stuff. There is an answer for this. But we also have personal commitments to not participate in this stuff. It's, it's on us too. Um, 
it comes down to that loyalty to Jesus again. Are we fully loyal to Jesus? Or are we whoring after other things? Um, not Lamborghinis, but like real spiritual beings. Though again, don't fixate on Lamborghinis. All right, let us pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful. That even throughout the Bible, when we watch the ups and downs of people who do go after other gods, who do participate in these other detestable practices, Lord, that you still provide a way to bring it all back in. That your goal, your plan was not thwarted by all of these rebels, whether they be humans or spirits, but Lord, you had your way in all due time according to your plan and they couldn't stop you. They thought they had defeated you, but they had nailed their own nail. And Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who put them all under his feet. That when he was three days in the ground, what he did, I don't know, but it must have been very miraculous and powerful because we get to live in the benefits of what happened during those three days. We thank you for that, Lord. And Lord, we just pray protection for us as we are in the world and we see these things, whether they be direct spirits or ideologies, these doctrines of demons, Lord, that we combat them in ourselves and offer solutions to people who are struggling with these things also. And Lord, never let us get fixated on people being our enemies. But Lord, let us fixate on the fact that it's spirits and doctrines behind those people. That's what we're praying against. That's who we're fighting. That's who we're militant against. Jesus, teach us to love like you. Holy Spirit, we love you and we thank you for indwelling in us. We thank you that you are our, you are our spirit. You're the one that we can talk to. You're the one that can give us answers. You are our counselor. We thank you. As we're more aware of all the different things that are going on in the spiritual realm, Lord, even more so, help us to see where you are working in us, in our family, in our community. Help us to see what you are doing. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for everything. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.